0: You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. I'd invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. As we consider the character of our mediator this afternoon in Laura's Day 6, we'll see the essential qualities of his humanity as well as his deity. And in the book of Hebrews, in the first two chapters, the author lays out precisely those two qualities. In chapter 1, his divinity. In chapter 2, his humanity. And communicates the benefits of his two natures to us there. And so we'll read those two chapters, Hebrews 1 and 2, and the first verse of chapter 3. In the past... So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son? Today I've become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. And speaking of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds, his servants flames of fire. But about the sun, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever, and righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. You've loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. He also says, in the beginning, O Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe, like a garment that will be changed But you remain the same. Your years will never end. To which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. For if the message spoken by angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard it, but who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. It was not to angels that he has subjected the world to come, about which we are speaking. But there is a place where someone has testified, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels and crowned him with glory and honor and put everything under his feet. In putting everything under him, God left nothing that is not subject to him. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to him, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone in bringing many sons to glory it was fitting that god for whom and through whom all everything exists should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers in the presence of the congregation. I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here I am and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. So that by his death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. Holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the Apostle and High Priest whom we confess. Our text this afternoon is the Word of God as it's summarized and confessed by the church in Lord's Day 6 of the Heidelberg Catechism. In order to understand Lord's Day 6, you sort of need to know what's going on in Lord's Day 5. We finished off in Lord's Day 5 with the kind of mediator and deliverer that we must seek, one who is true and righteous man, yet more powerful than all creatures, that is, one who is at the same time true God. And then we continue on in Lord's Day 6. Why must he be a true and righteous man? He must be a true man, because the justice of God requires that the same human nature which has sinned should pay for sin. He must be a righteous man, because one who himself is a sinner cannot pay for others. Why must he at the same time be true God? He must be true God so that by the power of his divine nature, he might bear in his human nature the burden of God's wrath and might obtain for us and restore to us righteousness and life. But who is that mediator who at the same time is true God and a true and righteous man? Our Lord Jesus Christ, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness holiness, and redemption. From where do you know this? From the Holy Gospel, which God himself first revealed in paradise. Later he had it proclaimed by the patriarchs and prophets and foreshadowed by the sacrifices and other ceremonies of the law. Finally, he had it fulfilled through his only Son. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, it's fitting that today we would remember the bodily ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ into heaven to the right hand of God. On the same day that we come in the progression of things to Lord's Day 6 in the Heidelberg Catechism. This is fitting because this Lord's Day, Lord's Day 6, is all about our two-natured mediator. He's human and he's divine. He is both man and God. God. The other Lord's Day in our catechism that spends the most time speaking about the two natures of Jesus Christ is Lord's Day 18, and this is the Lord's Day that speaks about the ascension of our Lord into heaven. So we have this connection in the catechism, and that's good. It, it works for us today as we look at Lord's Day 6. It will help us to remember the significance of the ascension of our Lord to the right hand of God. That's a good connection. But the problem with us is not that there's a connection in the catechism. The problem is that oftentimes we don't have this connection in our hearts and our minds. We don't have this connection in our hearts and our minds with the reality that Jesus Christ right now, as I'm speaking to you sitting here, is at the right hand of God in heaven. It's where he is, where he physically is in the body. We're very aware, at many times, of, of what Christ has done in his death. At times we really focus on his resurrection, we try as much as possible to to keep in mind our return and, and to live in light of that day. But how about the fact that Jesus Christ is in the flesh right now at the right hand of God? As you walk through life, as you walk through the, the joys and the sorrows, as you face the victories and the challenges of your daily walk, the things that are happening in your life right now that have happened this past week or that are going to happen In this week to come, are your eyes firmly fixed on your mediator at the right hand of God in heaven? Are you living consciously with the reality that he's there? Our eyes should be firmly fixed there at all times, not forgetting everything else but remembering that he who is there is the one who has died and risen from the grave. And he who is there is the one who will return. We need to remember him because he there right now and at every moment, good time or bad, is a perfect mediator. He is just the mediator that we need. He's a true and righteous man. He's true God. And our eternal comfort as well as our comfort from day to day, rests squarely in him. And so this afternoon, the exhortation to you is to fix your eyes on Jesus Christ at God's right hand, because he is the perfect mediator. As the perfect mediator, he's been there for us. And as the perfect mediator, he is here with us. And now let me just note that this sermon was written and came together in the discussions that I've been having along with Brother Hilmer Jaggersma, recently completed the first year at the Canadian Reformed Theological Seminary. So you may be hearing some of his input in this sermon. Of course, I take credit for anything that you don't find helpful. Don't blame Hilmer for that. So we need to fix our eyes on Jesus Christ that, at God's right hand because he's the perfect mediator. And part of his, his perfection as a mediator is that he's been there for us. There's something, we, we all experience this, there's something about talking to someone or even sometimes just knowing that someone has been there, has been there. As you go through various experiences, and especially trials, in speaking with people as they're going through chemotherapy treatment, having been diagnosed with cancer, they find it extremely helpful to talk to someone else who's been there, who's walked that journey before. I remember when our first son was was born by C-section. I sort of had the idea that no other child had ever been born by C-section, but suddenly all these people came and they, they shared their experiences and what it was like as a dad and as a mom with my wife. It was really helpful to talk to people who had been there, who had gone through that experience. Well, Hebrews 2, our reading together, is very clear that in Jesus Christ, we have a mediator who has been there. He's like his brothers in every respect we read, yet he's without sin. He's been like us. He's lived in this world. He's lived the same kind of life that we have, yet without sin. And in verse 18 of chapter 2 says, Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. He's been there. Hebrews 4 says that we have a mediator who has gone through the heavens, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, and he's and with him, we can find mercy and receive grace to help us in our time of need. Why? Because he's been there. Our Lord Jesus Christ has lived as a man. He's lived in human flesh, flesh like ours. This can be a difficult thing to to understand and to keep close to our minds, we can't see Jesus in the flesh. And since we can't see Him, it's very easy to forget that He is real. He is a real in the flesh human being, just like we are. He walked on this earth in the flesh as a real human being, just like we do. But when we keep this close to our minds and our thoughts, then it can be tremendously helpful to know that at the right hand of God in heaven, we have someone who has been there, who understands. Suppose, for example, that you were a first-year student in seminary. You might speak with other people who are the same age as you or in the same life experience sort of time of life as you, same number of children, same background, etc. But they've, if they've not been through that experience of seminary, then they just don't know what it's like to, to do that. It can be so helpful in that situation, the situation that our brother Jaggersma found himself in this past year, to know someone who's been through that experience. And that's a part of what we're doing this week as well who can relate with those unique challenges that you face at seminary. And of course, the application is all over. When we experience temptation, weakness, tiredness, we have a mediator who has gone through those same experiences. And when we call upon him, he knows what it's like. But the significance, brothers and sisters, of the human nature of our Lord Jesus Christ goes much deeper than just having someone who can relate with trials and temptations. You see, the kind of mediator that we need is one that's able to deal with the problem in front of you. And the the deeper the problem, the more you need a mediator. You need to have the right kind of mediator. If you've got legal problems in front of you, then the mediator that you need is one who has legal training and, and knowledge of the criminal code. That's the kind of mediator who can help you. If your problem is medical, then a lawyer's not going to help you. You need a different kind of mediator. You need someone familiar with the medical system. You need a doctor. And so, yes, part of our problem is that we face challenges as we walk through life. But brothers and sisters, is a deeper problem. I read a quote that struck me this past week from the pages of McLean's magazine, an article about heaven, no less, where it was stated, today we are more creatures of anxiety than we are of guilt. More creatures of anxiety than we are of guilt. That rings true from the current culture and experiences. Perhaps that's true of many other cultures and times as well. That we're creatures more of anxiety than of guilt. More and more, we're a culture that's overwhelmed by the dynamics of our our emotional well-being in the here and now. And less and less concerned about our spiritual well-being for all eternity. But the message of God's word is very clear. Our deepest problem, our most profound need has to do with our sinful hearts and our rebellious nature and the fact that God, the one only true God, who cannot change, is holy and righteous. And he punishes sin. He punishes it justly. He punishes it eternally. We need a savior then that can help us, not just when we're going through a tough time or when we're feeling down, Or when we're feeling weak. Although we certainly have a Savior who understands that. What we need on a deeper level is a Savior who can help us because we're deeply and totally affected by sin. Because our relationship with with God in heaven has been deeply and profoundly broken. And in our sinfulness, the judgment of God... Stands against us. We stand condemned. We need a savior to help us with that. Jesus is just that savior. In the first place, because he took on human flesh in order to die as a man. In Hebrews 2, the author makes this point very clear. The author says that he shared in their humanity... So that I might destroy him who holds the power of death. He says he was made like his brothers in every way. Why? In order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. That he might make atonement for the sins of the people. And the atonement that he made was through his own death. The high priest became the sacrifice. As the catechism says, Christ is a true man so that he can pay the punishment for sin as a man. That the same human nature which has sinned could pay for sin. For that seminary student or for anyone going through a tough period, it might be nice to have someone who can relate with you, who can help to lighten the burden. But, but really, if you don't have their help, you, you still probably get through it might be more difficult, but you'll get through it. But things are categorically different when your very life is at stake. And there's no option. You can't just slog your way through it, try harder, do more, suffer a bit more. There's no other option for us. We either stand condemned or we have a mediator. According to God's righteous judgment, question 12 says, We deserve temporal and eternal punishment. But we have a mediator in Jesus Christ who has taken our flesh. And in our flesh, he hung on a cross in all the pain that we would experience in our flesh and even more as God poured out his wrath upon him. He's a perfect mediator because he's a true man. He's a perfect mediator also because he's a righteous man. Ultimately, if Jesus would not have lived a perfect life in all righteousness, loving the Lord as God with all his heart, with all his soul and all his mind, loving his neighbor as himself, then his true humanity would be worth nothing. He could hang on the cross as a true man, all he wanted. But if he had sin, then he could not bear our sins there. Satan understood this. Satan understood this very clearly. That's why you recall when Jesus was baptized and he went out into the desert, Satan went with him and tried to tempt him there. Because he knew, okay, God has come into the flesh. But if God in the flesh, if this man sins, then the mission is shipwrecked. Then he cannot pay for sin. God can become human flesh to save the world. But if that man does not submit himself to the will of the Father then the mission will come to nothing. But Jesus was righteous. He lived a perfect life. He never once veered off the path that was set before him, the path of righteousness, at countless moments that we would have have just given up, taken a break, fallen into sin, despaired. Christ didn't. Instead, he loved his father. He loved his neighbor. He loved his enemies all the way to the cross. So that as he hung there, he was the righteous sacrifice, tainted in no way by sin, except for the sin that the father imputed to him. Our sin, the sin of all those placed their trust in him. He hung there. He who hung there was a lamb without blemish or defect. Though righteous, he was put to death for our sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is why the Lord Jesus took upon himself human flesh so that he might suffer and die as one of us, as our brother, taking upon himself our punishment so that we might be saved. Where we deserve condemnation and death, brothers and sisters, we have a mediator who has been there for us. He's experienced that condemnation He's experienced that death. He's done it in our flesh. And he's done it for us so that we need not. He's been there. He's also here. So we come to the second point. As the perfect mediator the Lord Jesus Christ is true and righteous man, but there's more to who Jesus is. In fact, there's a lot more to who Jesus is. He's also God. He's man, And he's God. Now, along with the doctrine of the Trinity, the doctrine of the two natures of Christ is one of the most mysterious and profound doctrines that the church confesses. How can someone be both human and divine? How can someone be both man and God? What does it look like? How was he conceived? What did his DNA look like? What do his cells look like? You see, our modern materialist worldview has absolutely no category for this. This is simply an impossibility. So if you want to reckon with Scripture in order to understand the two natures of Christ, you have to shed materi- your materialistic assumptions. You will not get there in that way. You have to take your cue from the truth of God's Word. And God's Word is very clear about the humanity of Christ And God's word is also very clear about the divinity of Christ. Consider Hebrews 1, especially those first few verses which we read together. It becomes clear there. Jesus Christ, in these last days, has spoken to God's people as the Son of God. The Son is the radiance of God's glory. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's a well-used title throughout the Bible. Sometimes it can refer to a king, but here in Hebrews, the point is that this son is even greater than the angels. This is no mere human king. This is the son who, who was spoken of or who has spoken even before he took on human flesh. He's the pre son. He's the son who was there at creation. And he's the radiance of God's glory, the author says. He is the one who radiates from the father in the workings of the trinity. It's not that he reflects the sun like the moon does. No, he's fully sun. But whereas you cannot peer into the intense light and heat of the sun in the sky, you can appreciate something of the sun through its radiance. This is Jesus Christ. He's the exact representation of God's being. When you behold and comprehend Jesus Christ, you are beholding and comprehend none other than God, is what the author is saying here. If you want to know what the love of God looks like, then consider the love of Jesus Christ. If you want to understand the wisdom of God, then know Jesus Christ. Remember in John 14, which we looked at this morning, the disciples were confused. How do we know the Father? Jesus says, you know the Father if you know me. He and the Father are one. He's truly divine. He's the mediator of creation. Through him, all things were made. He's God. He's God. This is who Jesus is. Now, in becoming a man, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. We read in Philippians chapter 2. Christ put off his heavenly glory in order to clothe himself with humility, with suffering and guilt and shame as the Lamb of God. But in doing that, he didn't cease to be to be God. Rather, all the way to the cross, he suffered as both man and God. Both man and God on the cross. He was fully the eternal son. Try to try to. Get in your mind what this means. Jesus Christ on the cross was truly God. He had dwelled with the father and the spirit. Perfect union from all eternity. Always experienced the love and the delight of his father. Never separated from his father. Then on the cross, he stopped experiencing that love. That which had been his from all eternity was no longer his. It stopped, it ceased in that moment. Rather than experiencing God's love, the father's love and delight, he experienced God's forsakenness. Even more, he experienced God's wrath. Even the experience of having a a loving father with whom you're close suddenly turn on you after 10 or 20 years of knowing that father would be a tremendously upsetting and painful experience, would it not? If all of a sudden the the one whom you'd only known nurturing affection and love from turned and you experienced his his full-born wrath... It would be deeply troubling. But to have enjoyed that perfect love from all eternity, and then to have him forsake you, pour his wrath upon you? What a moment. What three hours on the cross. So painful because he is God. So bearable only by him. Because he is God. This mediator, who is a perfect mediator, is the perfect mediator because as God, he has borne the wrath of God. Only he could do it. But the benefits of his divinity extend beyond that as well. Because after that experience on the cross, he arose from the grave. And he did not just arise from the grave, no, he ascended into heaven. He who had once left the right hand of God to make himself nothing returned to that same place, this time in human flesh. That's the difference. He descended into suffering and pain and punishment, but he ascended with triumph and vindication, authority and power. And he's at his rightful place now at the right hand of God. And now you might say, wait a minute. I'd sort of rather have him here. Wouldn't it be better if he was here, just like the disciples in the upper room? Wouldn't it be better if he was here? Why is he leaving? Why is he going? Might be nice to have a savior far away, but how much better to have one near? A friend across the country can be good when you're going through a difficult time if they can relate with you. But wouldn't it be much better to have that friend right at your side? But Jesus is here. He is here because he's gone. Yes, we have our first, our, our flesh in heaven, the first fruits of the resurrection. The son of Adam is in heaven, in the flesh. However, he's not only there, he's also here. Lo, I am with you always, Jesus said to his disciples before he ascended into heaven, even to the end of the age. I am going, he said in the upper room, but I will send my spirit, a counselor to be with you. Brothers and sisters, this reality of the ascension of our mediator, the ascension of the man, uh, the one who is true man and true God, is not a sad reality for us because he's not a mere man. It's not sad for us because he's the God man. He's the right mediator. Because he's here with us, because he has sent his spirit and he himself lives in us. As he told the disciples, he is here among us. He's here to bring salvation to the four corners of the world. He's here to speak life and peace into dead and rebellious hearts. He's here to comfort us with the words of truth. He's here to guide us in the way of righteousness. He's here to transform us into his likeness. He's here to hear our prayers whenever we call on him. So that hearing us here, he can bring our prayers there before the right hand of God. He's here because he is God. The ascension of teaches us that Jesus Christ is just the mediator that we need. The mediator who is at the same time true God and true and righteous man. And so as the author of Hebrews continues as he goes on to the book, having established the wonder of this two-natured Savior, both man and God, let us focus our thoughts on Jesus. Let us always remember to focus our thoughts, to focus our eyes, the eyes of our heart, to focus our faith on Jesus Christ where he is, at the right hand of God. Let us never forget he who is seated at God's right hand. 100% God, 100% man, and 100% perfect mediator. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc dot org